Also in your honor, I'm going to be censoring all of the curse words. So it's going to be a clean podcast today. Oh, okay, good. Ah. Thank you. Atlanta. Come for the southern hospitality, stay for the crunchy tap water. Mm. It's the Whole World Improv Podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell, and a man who gets his 10,000 steps in by looking for his car keys, John Mihalik. John, me too. Samesies. Boop, twins. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast. I'm John Mihalik, and with me is my co-host, the artistic director, the grand poobah of Whole World Theater, Mr. Chip Powell. Hey, everybody. So we're really excited today to continue our uh, series on education, and we have a lot that goes on in improv, but we always find that there's that one diamond in the rough that just can't not stop telling jokes and to which we send them to our guest today because he is the king of stand-up in Atlanta, Georgia. Please welcome our guest, Jeff Justice. You make them sound like they're banished to me. It's like, well, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. thing ain't going to work for you. I guess you're going to have to do stand-up. <laughs> no, it's, it's great because it's a great crossover because we're about to embark. And when we do, we're also going to be talking about people that work with us that also work with you because I just came from your show Thursday, I believe it was. I guess it was your Southern performers. Well, what it is, Mark Evans, who eventually will take over the comedy workshop when I'm just too old. Apparently, I don't think I've reached that yet. So there's a different opinion with other people. But uh, Mark has the great idea years ago to start the Jeff Justice Alumni Group. And he puts on about anywhere from five to six shows a year in Atlanta. And the only ones that can be in it are past alumni of the Comedy Workshop. So it's a good, clean show again. But it gives all those people a chance once again to work in front of a great packed house. So like I think there was like 145 people at the one that Mark just did. Yeah, it was a great crowd. It was a good yeah. show. I absolutely love Robin Ricky. She is just oh yeah, oh, love just always loved her, and I was so glad that she was doing stand up. And then uh, the surprise of the night for me was I knew Monish took your class. Yeah, but I didn't know that he was going to be there that night because he's not telling anybody because <laughs> he's. Didn't want to sell any tickets. I know. I, I was like, you've got to tell people you were hilarious. That three combo impersonation he did. He was actually on season one with us. And he spoke about the difference between doing improv and doing stand-up. And he did a little bit of that bit on the first season. But I just had no idea he was going to be there. Yeah, he's a very funny kid. Matter of fact, Mark and I were sitting there after the show trying to remember what that three... Uh, impersonation thing was it was just Obama, bush and clinton bush and clinton yeah. all uh having a conversation together that was just a great group there and like they what a great chance for people to see because what happens on the graduation is we get people and their friends find out that they did it and they're all like oh my god you know let me know when you're doing that again and of course they're not doing it again for a long time and then mark comes along with this idea and now they can come out and see him again so all those people that missed him the first time get to come out Talk about the class 
real quick, just give us an outline of the class that you teach and how long is the class and what is it focused on? Well, I will give you the Jeff Justice 60 second comedy workshop commercial. I'm okay? timing you. <laughs> so John, it's a six week course that teaches the basics of stand up comedy, how to write jokes and tell jokes, how to take the things that are funny to you and make them funny on stage, which is a lot different than being funny with your friends. And through a series of exercises each week, you come in with your jokes that you write at home. And we point out, uh, you deliver them in class, we point out what works and what doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, I actually help you rewrite it. One of the few comedy clubs in the country, if any other, actually help you rewrite your jokes. And we show you how to organize it into routine, memorize it, and deliver it so it has as much punch as possible. And then you get to have your night on stage at the world-famous Atlanta Punchline. That was 60 seconds. That was I know, man. Nailed it. Impressive. Okay, so I actually took, I was a student of yours, Jeff. You were. You know what? I still have a video of you outside the punchline after you got off stage with Mark Evans talking about, oh my God, it was great. It was wonderful. And all that. I think I it might even be on the website. Yeah. Stand up and improv. There's a lot of different people who come for a lot of different reasons. What kind of people actually take the course beyond people who are just looking to be funny? I would say maybe 5% of the people by the end of the class actually want to be stand-up comedians. A large percentage of them take it because of business people, and they realize that if they can add humor to their presentations, hey, people may actually listen to them and stay awake during their presentation. So mm -hmm. they realize the power of that. I get everything from house husbands to college kids. I've got a high school kid in this class now, and I've got a fellow uh, that's retired. Actually, in one class, I actually had a hooker and a priest. It sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? A hooker and a priest walk into a comedy class. But boom, boom. We got to explore that on stage, I a hooker know. and a priest. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I have people that are the class clowns, obviously. Yeah. I have people that are feel they're not funny at all or terrified of being up in front of a group of people. And that's why they're taking it, to break through that fear. At one moment before she got married, she figured if she could perform on stage at the punchline in front of a packed house, walking down the aisle would be a piece of cake. <laughs> oh, so now she's divorced, but she's still doing comedy. So, hey, who wins, right? She got a lot of material from a divorce. God knows I did. I know. I got divorced way before I became a comedian, so I forgot it all, and I was over it by the time I got on stage. I tell you, one of the things a lot of people don't realize about me is when I first got to New York to go up there and do comedy, hopefully, full-time, I was also about 31 back then, so I was pretty old for someone starting out in comedy, most people, if they hadn't made it by the time they were 31, they were like suicidal or, you know, thinking of something else to do. And I went to see my first comedy show and I asked one of the performers afterwards, I said, hey, you know, I saw these ads in the paper in New York for comedy classes. I'm up here to, to do stand-up comedy. Do you think those are worth taking? And he said, nah, because I think you either got it or you don't. And I took him at his word for it. So I never took a stand-up comedy class, but I found a place called Next City comedy class, which was an improv group that was an offshoot of Second City. The gentleman that started Second City when he came to New York, he started Chicago City Limits. That's what it was called, Chicago City Limits. And that was one of the smartest things I ever did. So I spent three years with some amazingly talented improv comedians. And that really taught me that if I was on stage and things went wrong, I'd think of something funny. And I did. I learned how to kind of break down my ego there, laugh at myself and find the humor in so many things that I never would have, I think, without that. And then I get a lot of improv people that take the stand-up comedy class to learn 
the actual rules of comedy because and that just makes their improv funny when they know where's the best place to put uh, the punch word and the threes and you know you know all those different types of things you guys are stars you know yeah. don't you find that though john that some of the rules that you learn in the stand-up comedy class you now apply automatically when you're coming up with your line doing improv you realize your brain just goes well this should go here and if i use a hard consonant or a k word with a k in it it's going to have more punch to it if i pause here it's going to have more effect in it you know um it does um yeah. when i first started out in classes i was doing open mics for a while after having graduated your class and then i took your level two class i was still doing some open mics when i first got here it was hard for me to kind of break the, okay, here's our subject, but in improv, you're moving off that subject. You're, right. you're going to find a different viewpoint of that subject and you're going to go. And the most obvious difference, you've got somebody else there who's got a different point of view from you who was talking. So that kind of threw me for a bit, but I do notice myself, you know, I pause for the laughs. Mm -hmm. Everybody's laughing. Okay, stop. Pause for that laugh. The threes, the comedic principle of threes, where, you know, you have the two things that have something in common and one thing that completely differs from it. I find myself doing that. If I say one thing or I say another thing, sometimes I'll say, I got to say something else. Now right. Threes, but it tends to work. Yeah. It does. A lot of people, that's kind of hard to teach people. Like even the classes that I have now, I constantly am correcting people because they try to do three funny things and that doesn't work because if you try that, then the first one's got to be funny. The second one's got to be very funny. And the third one's got to be hysterical to get the same laugh. If they're all equally funny, then it's like, ha, 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 oh, no. <laughs> We don't like that sound. We don't. And I see the threes everywhere in books that I read, mm -hmm. in t obviously TV shows, especially sitcoms, but it just works so well. Do you live in Atlanta? Are you visiting Atlanta soon? Either way, a night at Whole World Improv Theater is one of the best shows in town. We're open for shows on Friday and Saturday at 8 p.m. And now there's a second show on Saturday at 10 p.m. That's three chances to make your week funnier and we guarantee it costs less than your therapist. It's 200 bucks a pop and the first available appointment I could get for a therapist was about two months. I don't know, it's a racket. I think we should just all watch cat videos because they help every single time. Yes, we're still totally safe and socially distant. We follow CDC guidelines, but like, what does the CDC know? They live here in Atlanta, which is allergy central, and it just gets worse and worse. What's the matter, my people? No love for the hometown? See if we offer you tissues for those watery eyes ever again. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs where beautiful people bring you the arts while surrounded by singing birds and fairies. They must have us mistaken for something like Shakespeare in the park. Or the vagina monologues. Vagina. Someone like me who's never done, well, okay, I, I did stand up one time for an award ceremony. <laughs> it, it was not good. It was yeah. not good. It was not me and my element. But say I'm coming in for the first time to take your class. What's the guide? What's the inspiration for me to write something? Well, basically, we have about four exercises that you do in the pre-class homework. And what that helps you do is discover what is your sense of humor? 
you know, you might find from doing exercises, you know, I'm somebody that really likes sarcastic comedians or I like people that do more slapstick type stuff or I like people that do more self-effacing type humor or humor with a real edge to it. So that's the first part is kind of knowing what is your type of humor that you like. It's really kind of like a self-analysis audit, discussing with yourself. You don't show this to other people, but you're writing down what are your likes, what are your dislikes, what are the things that you're afraid of, what are the things that you are worried about, what are your negative personality traits. I always tell people, I said, when you come to the list of negative personality traits, don't ask someone that you have a good relationship with. Because, you know, as soon as they start telling you your negative personality traits, you're like, oh, yeah? Well, hey, you're no peach either. You know, walk in the park. I said, matter of fact, if you want to find out your negative personality traits, call up your ex-wife, ex-husband, ex-girlfriend. They've got a list by the phone. They've been waiting for this moment to be able to tell you these things. Anything physical about you, your appearance right off the bat? Like I've had uh, students that look like Waldo. You know, I'm going, well, you've got to do a Where's Waldo joke right at the beginning when you walk out there. The list goes on and on and on. The main thing is just really kind of knowing yourself. To me, the most important exercise is what we call the uh, 20 statements of truth. And that's where you write down 20 provocative true statements about yourself. Like you could write down, I'm married, I got two kids, I got a dog, I went to college. No, those are actually all true statements, but there's nothing to them. No, you want something provocative. You want something you can defend or, or not. Like, you know, I went to the worst college in the country. I've got the stupidest dog on earth or... I swear to God, I think my dog's human. It's saying something about it instead of just, you know, listing true statements. So once you have all this information, a lot of times with the true statements exercise, those true statements can form what we call the setup for your joke. So you have the setup and the punchline, and the setup is a true statement, and then your punchline can be exaggeration, it can be a total lie. It's so funny how many people think that... Uh, well, you know, people are just funny. Like, do you know Carlos Rodriguez? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Carlos, very funny guy. So I always have him come in and talk to the students because he's out there, he's doing corporate events now, he's doing open mics, he's doing weeks on the road. And I have him do a bit for him, like does that bit about his car breaking down, having to rent a car and going to Hertz. And the woman says, well, we can put you in a, in a Tuscan. And the whole thing kind of unrolls with him going, you mean Tucson? She goes, is that how you say it? He goes, yeah. She goes, what's Tucson? He goes, it's a city in Arizona. I would ask him then, so what part of that bit is true? And he said, well, my car did break down. I did have to run a car. And the woman did say a toxic. So where the rest of it come from? You know, and that's stuff where like you're riding home and you go, you know what I should have said? As a comedian, you write it down. That becomes part of the joke. And you can play with it later on. Sometimes on stage, you'll be saying something. All of a sudden, another line will come to you, you try it, the audience laughs, boom, that's in there. That's how you start. So are you married? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so whoa, there's material right there. You have kids? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, the relationships, even if people aren't married, they can be, understand the relationship between a husband and wife or a father and, and kids. Yeah. So, you know, all that stuff is universal. So you just talk truthfully about your life, and then you find the punchlines that exaggerate that or make it funny or surprise the audience. Well, it's funny. I was telling someone a story the other day that my husband was in the bathroom and he kept saying, this device in here doesn't work. And then the next moment I heard him say, Lexus, play music. <laughs> King Bradley Carter was like, it's Alexa. That's why it's not working, buddy. <laughs> 
See, now on the opposite thing, when I came back from our honeymoon, my wife and I shared a, a bathroom and she's putting on her makeup and she's trying to put on her mascara. And I realized the closer the pen gets to her eye, the wider her mouth gets. She's like, no. <laughs> and so by Monday, I had a joke about how come women can't put on mascara with their uh, mouth closed. And I mime out the whole thing and stuff. And but Diane got a bunch of laughs and Diane looks at me later on going, so am I basically just going to be part of your uh, routine from now on? I said, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was part of the marriage deal right there, baby. Right there. You got the ring and I got uh, five minutes worth of good material. <laughs> Reveal your darkest okay. secrets on stage. Yes. Oh, that's, that's it. You know, nothing is more universal than relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the truth that is grounded and relatable then can really be really fertile territory to write any joke. How do you guide people into subjects we're living in a really sensitive, politically correct time? Yeah, it is horrible right now. I'm, I'm glad I don't do stand-up anymore and I just teach it. If you remember, I've got all these rules at the beginning. Don't do religious humor unless it's your religion. Don't uh, make fun of anybody with diseases unless you have it. Like if you have AIDS, you have cancer, what have you, and you want to talk about it. Yeah, that's great. But don't make fun of other people uh, that have it. Politics, don't do politics. Because if you're making fun of the Democrats, well, you've lost the other half of the room, which is the Republicans and vice versa. All the really good talk show hosts, which are hardly any of them now, they always poke fun at both sides. You know, the Carsons, the Leno, they poke fun at Democrats, poke fun at the Republicans, they go back and forth. And now it's just whatever you are. If you're Democrat, then you just hammer the Republicans the whole time. You know, to me, that just gets old. There's no surprise to it. You know, it's going to happen. But I tell my students not to do it because why, why would you want to lose half the audience right off the bat? And it still amazes me how many people come to class ready to do racist jokes, sexist jokes, things like that. They don't realize that they are that type of jokes. You know, they've just, they've always said these things with their friends or their lives. I go, really? People get offended by that? I go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, really, the, my daughter is one of the millennials. Boy, they all lost their sense of humor. She's getting it back now. But I mean, for years, these kids, you couldn't joke about anything. You, know? no, you can't, yeah. It's interesting to navigate through a pandemic as well. When we were bringing people back into the building, it's like just putting a piece of fabric over your face is controversial. You know, it's so, you don't know what's right or wrong because we've navigated through this thing. I thought we did really well. You know, well, you're we, still here. You well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and we <laughs> kept people safe. And like I said, uh, coming out to your show the other night was so great to get out and see and support friends in theater that were doing something, you know, get something to eat and have drink and have laughs and have a good time. So that's what we're trying to provide as well. And I think we also get into the politically blurred lines here as well, because like you're saying, somebody might come and write a joke about AIDS, but if someone's on our stage and it just comes out in the moment and it gets that icky feeling in the room. I always tell that actor, wow, when you come back from intermission, you're going to have to work real hard to get the audience back on your side because you lost a lot of them when you did your AIDS joke. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You know, it's so it's such a fine line, but you know, it always impresses me. I just was watching the season premiere at SNL this morning and I had the season ender that I hadn't watched yet with the girl from uh, the Queen's Gambit. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, Joy something. Anna the blonde with the, yeah. with the crazy eyes. And uh, yeah, 
Um, but they did a segment on there where it was flashback to the Game Show Network, 1998, uh, Hollywood Squares. Uh-huh. And the first question went to the center square, which was Bill Cosby. <laughs> and it was Keenan going, boo, 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 boo. and all of a sudden this black screen came up and said, uh, due to the nature of Bill Cosby, this segment has been deleted from this episode. So the next square was Kevin Spacey. <laughs> and then they went over to Matt Lauer. Yeah. And it was just, I, and I thought I was cracking up. But yeah. you know, then again, it's like they walked that fine line as well, I think. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we'll pick right up where we left off with Jeff Justice. Normally, this is where we play our theme song and Kate reads the credits, as only she can. We're doing something different for the next few weeks. It's our fundraising season. We joke about how we're a nonprofit theater and why giving money to us is a lot better than giving it to the government. I mean, that's true, and we're still going to be funny about it. But seriously, we're a nonprofit theater. It takes money to pay the power bill, maintain the upkeep of our building. It doesn't sound like much, but our operating expenses add up. We're asking for your help, and more specifically, to make sure I win. See, there's a contest this year. Uh, Okay, wait. Maybe the others at Whole World aren't quite aware that it's a contest. But that's why we can't let them win. We have individual fundraisers this year, and that means there's a list. And where there's a list, someone will have to be first on this list. Now, someone might say, John, you're being competitive. Well, that sounds like something number two and above might say, but not number one. Here's what I want you to do. Go to georgiagives.org. That's G-A-G-I-V-E-S dot O-R-G. In the search box, type in my name, John, J-O-H-N, Mihalik, M-I-H-A-L-I-K. It's a Slovak name. It translates to frequently mispronounced. But type in that name, and only that name. You'll see a link to my fundraiser page. Click on that link, and then go to Donate and Give Freely. And the top 80 donors will be invited to an exclusive beer bash and private show. The best part is, I'll be in it. Now, I normally play an outtake from our interview to end on. But at the beginning of the episode, Jeff and Chip talked about a bit from our fellow main stage performer and sometimes guest host of this podcast, Manish Tiagi. It's the part where they talked about Manish impersonating three presidents. Now, I have no idea if this was the exact bit that Manish did, but I do have a clip from our very first episode. And this clip ends with some great impersonations of former presidents, three of them in particular. Now, I don't know if we inspired this bit or not, but I think I'm going to take credit for it either way. Manish, you're welcome. We just had an inauguration, and Manish is known for a great deal of impersonations, but I think he already knows the impersonation that I think we have to let our listeners hear. Bernie and the Mittens, right? Yeah, it's going to be that. Mr. President, how do you feel about people talking about your wife's outfit rather than your friend Joe? Uh, well, well, here's the thing, John. Uh, first, first, you have to realize uh, that, that Michelle ha- has a, an impeccable fashion sense. So uh, it, 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 it's no surprise to me 
uh, that that is what people latched onto. Uh, however, uh, I do think that perhaps uh, as our country goes through these difficult times, uh, that maybe we should listen a little bit more uh, to what Joe has to say. And I'm not going to say that, that I wrote Joe's speech, but I, uh, well, I offered him a couple pointers and I hope that he took them and I think he did a great job. So, uh, you know, I, I think maybe uh, while Michelle does dress very well, uh, we should also uh, start to pay more attention uh, to Joe. Mr. President, during the inauguration, there's a lot of coverage about ex-presidents and how there's a little club of ex-presidents. What do you guys do at your club meetings? Uh, well, it, it, it usually goes uh, a little something like this. You know, last time uh, we met, we uh, we went out to dinner and, and we were at, at Chili's and I, I uh, the waitress came over and she walked away and I turned to George and Bill and I said, you know, guys, uh, this is a great example uh, of an American dining establishment that serves the people and, and has wit withstood the test of time. And, and I said, Bill, what do you think about this? And he said, well, I think, uh, I think that waitress over there was pretty hot. <laughs> what about, what about you, George? What about you? Uh, well, uh, I, I still can't figure out why this place is called Chili's. <laughs> and there's no chilies on the menu. So somebody do me a favor and explain that to me, please. 